thank everybody for coming. Today is going to be an amazing, amazing day. It already has been, but I believe God has even better in store for us. And so before we get any further along, I just want to thank everybody who's watching online. Thank you guys so much for coming. I know uh, some couldn't make it out because of the weather, but we're just so happy that you're watching us. And before I get any further, I think it's only appropriate for us to put our hands together for all the students that made this Sunday possible. Oh, yeah. In case you don't know, uh, we have our young people running the fit team, the, the guests, the, uh, the, the production, the halftime room, the in-between stuff, the music, the band, everything. And so if you, if you run across somebody rocking their FCY shirt, make sure you tell them good job because they're doing awesome. I'd like to give honor to my, to my wife, of course, who deals with me on a day-to-day -day basis, my pastor, my parents, and, and I want to shout out to our youth team that makes everything that we do as a youth program possible. Uh, in and out every single week, just serving, serving, serving underneath the radar. But there's a lot of people that make what we do possible. And to get started, I'm going to read from Genesis 26 and 18. If you could stand with me just to honor the Bible here, honor the Word of God. And it says, And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. Thank you for standing. You can take a seat. Nice and quick. Uh, when Bianca and I first took over, I wanted to kind of understand the mind of a young person. And so one of the first studies that I really did, and I didn't go super, super deep because I got everything I needed in a moment, I wanted to know the intention span of a teenager. And uh, a study showed that in the year 2000, this is 20 years ago, the attention, attention span of a young person is 12 seconds. And so I wanted to know what's happening today. And so today, in 2020, the attention span of a young person has dropped down to eight seconds. And, uh, you know, little fun fact for everybody, that's one second less than a goldfish. So, hey, we're going to make it through. And since I've already taken up about a minute, I think that's, what? I'm, yeah, it's about to be over. <laughs> so if I go quickly, it's just because I, I'm used to running youth services and stuff like that. And before I get further, let's just pray for a moment, okay? In the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for this moment, and I thank you in Jesus' name for what this moment means in eternity's sake. I'm asking you, God, to open up our hearts and open up our minds and let us receive everything that you have intended for us. And God, I pray that in this moment, your name be glorified, your church edified, and the devil absolutely terrified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was telling the 915 service that about a year and a half to two years ago, when we did our very first youth run Sunday, I was in way over my head. I remember I was so focused on making sure the greeters were all set, the music, the production, and I was also speaking for the first time in front of this, in front of my church, and I was just nervous as all get out. And I remember I did everything right except for one thing. And I came up here to speak just like this, and my th throat starts to dry up, and, and I know that it's because of nerves and lighting, and I reached down to the glass of water to take a sip, and <laughs> all I see is, I see someone's trying to play a joke on me. All I see is this big, 
hairy fly just floating around the top, just like this one right there, as dead as that one. And I knew that it's been marinating that water for the past seven days, and I had a, about a quarter of a second to decide whether I'm just gonna bite the, bite the bullet or possibly die up here. And so I bit that bullet. And hey, we're all good, man, we're here, we're here. And uh, <laughs> there it is, protein. I was ready. You see, as I, as I look at my life and where my walk with God actually began, and I, and I try to see these patterns and these things that I'm going through on a consistent basis, there's something that I've noticed personally for me is that I see myself praying the same exact prayers. You see, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm fighting the same battles or at least similar battles that I fought from the very get-go trying to climb higher and higher, fighting the same internal and external spiritual battles. And it's like, it's not going as quickly as I want it to go. I'm not moving forward as quickly as I want to move. And I'm not talking about praying without action. You see, I believe that far too many Christians pray and ask God to build them a table as they sit underneath the tree that he grew for them in the first place. God gives you the tools and the opportunities to build the things that you can build yourself. I'm talking about prayers that only God can answer, doors only God can open, and battles only God can fight on my behalf. And you see, it's easy for me to get exhausted in these moments, praying the same prayers, fighting the same battles. And I begin to feel like Paul in 2 Corinthians when he's pleading with God to take this thorn out of his side, pleading, praying, praying, praying. And finally, God answers him and says, no. And the hardest part about that scripture is how Paul responds immediately. He says, and I rejoice because of it. I'm glad because of it. Because it's keeping me grounded. It's keeping me in a place of humility and brokenness before God. You see, when Bianca and I first took over this youth, we quickly learned that we're no longer in youth ministry. We're actually in family ministry now. You see, a young person can impact a household in incredible ways as the household can also impact a young person. I've had so many conversations, so many conversations with parents, grandparents, young people, students talking about their siblings, grandparents talking about their grandkids, parents talking about their children in deep concern for their salvation. I would have them come up to me and ask me, hey, can you just pray with me? I need you to pray for my grandson. I need you to pray for my son, my daughter. You know that they're not doing well. I need you to pray with me in this moment. And when we talk about these things, there is such a deep-rooted pain behind it. And I can feel it because I know I have stories of my own. I have prayers of my own that I'm still fighting through. I still have people that I'm praying for right now, and that will never stop. And as a youth pastor, to watch a young person who used to beat me to the altars, challenge me to the prayer rooms, and worship harder than I ever have, watching that young person walk away, watching people like that leave the only thing that ever sustained them is one of the hardest things to watch. But it happens, and it happens. We went through the retention rates here at First Church because I wanted to know how many and why. I wanted to know why a young person would leave the church, leave a relationship with God. So for the last 10 years, I wrote down every single name of every single person that graduated over the last 10 years, and I put down every possible reason why. Were they hurt by the church? Were they offended by somebody? Were were they baptized, filled with the Spirit? What were the reasons why would somebody walk away from this great thing that I found? 
And the most common similarity, the strongest correlation I found for why a young person would stay or go is whether their parents stay or go. You see, if you're a parent, hear me. You have a direct and powerful impact on your children's walk with God. The way you walk, they also walk. They'll start where you finish. They'll follow in your footsteps. Now, I know personally, I grew up, you see, I grew up in a household of prayer. My parents prayed. I, I, I would come home and I'd hear my mom praying. I know what that sounds like and I know what it feels like to live in that kind of house. And yet I still walked away from the presence of God. So I know it's on the individual to decide whether this is for them or not. But to say that there are no external influences, that's a foolish statement to make. You know, I did another study on, on youth workers and, and a young person and who actually has influence on a young person's life. The top two people, mother and father. This guy, the youth pastor, I'm down at number seven. So I know exactly how, how powerful it is. And trust me, I'm not bitter at all, okay? I'm good. We're good. And one of the strongest correlations I find between a parent and a child father and son, as I walk through the scripture, is this relationship between Abraham and his son Isaac. When you walk through Genesis and you watch the life of Abraham, and then you follow up and watch Isaac, you begin to see that step by step, moment by moment, both Abraham and Isaac are dealing with the same things, just in two different times. Abraham and Isaac both face the hardship of famine, the wondering on how I'm going to feed my children in my household. They both prayed for their barren wives who God had to reach down and miraculously touch. They both lied about their wives being their sisters to a king named Abimelech in a land called Gerar. In fact, my assumption is that the Abimelech king that Abraham lied to is actually the father of the Abimelech that his son Isaac also lied to. And finally, the last similarity that I could find between these two is that they both dug wells. As I was praying about this message and I was trying to come up with a title and all that fun stuff, I was really close on calling this prayers of the prodigal. You see, I don't know many other churches. This is the only church I've ever been raised in. This is the only church I truly know. But I'm sure many other places go through the same pain. I remember as a child, I would come to church on prayer nights. I would come to church on Sundays and I would hear these parents crying out for their kids. I remember overhearing conversations between adults asking one another, pray for my child, he's walking away. Pray for my daughter, she's leaving this thing. And I remember overhearing these things over and over and over. But I just want to make sure that there is no doubt in anybody's mind here today that a person, a son, a daughter, a mother, father, whoever it is who's not walking with God absolutely knows how to pray. Because when push comes to shove, and I'm not saying that these prodigals are waking up every morning glorifying God with their words. I'm not saying that they're interceding on someone's behalf. What I'm saying is when, the, they, when, the, when a rock meets a hard place, and when push comes to shove, when desperation meets hopelessness, every single person knows how to pray. It's instinctual for the creation to cry out to the creator. When there's nothing left to do, we all know how to pray. Jesus' name. You see, when there's somebody who is born and raised in a church like this, I'm telling you, they not only know what real prayer sounds like, 
They know what it feels like. They know what it feels like when the church begins to bind together in a state of worship and the ground begins to shake, the spiritual ground begins to shake in this place and you cry and you don't even know why you're crying. I'm telling you, they know what that feels like. You see, Abraham dug wells and he named them Essek, Sitna, Rehoboth. Isaac redug the same wells and he gave them the same names, but with his own stories attached to them. Essek means dispute, Sitna means opposition, and Rehoboth means room. You see, Abraham went through his disputes. Abraham went through his oppositions, and Abraham finally came to a place where there's room. And just like Abraham, his dad, Isaac went through his disputes. He went through his oppositions and finally came to a place where he found room, both father and son in sync, one generation after another. You see, Abraham was a wealthy man. He was blessed by God. He had money, possession. He had wealth. He had land. He had everything that you could possibly want. But the greatest inheritance that when he died, the greatest inheritance he left for his son Isaac was not the money. It wasn't the land. It wasn't the possession. It were these unfinished wells. Abraham dug wells, and he left them to his son Isaac. You see, it's a lifestyle of prayer. It's years upon years, making it into decades of fighting and pursuing a life after God. It's testimonies after testimonies. It's showing yourself holy and acceptable in the name of God. That is an inheritance worth living for. That's an inheritance worth leaving behind. And it's when the next generation begins to pick up your shovels and start where you finished. That's when it all comes in full circle. You see, as a youth pastor, I get to watch young people. I get to have these conversations with people, and they would talk to me about these things that they're dealing with, both internal, external, all these, all these battles. And the hardest part is when I hear a young person talk to me and tell me that they're going through something I've already been through. It's tough, man. Because when they do, I immediately feel the same weight that I felt when I was in their shoes. I immediately feel that same burden, the heaviness. And my best solution is just keep praying. I'm telling you, I know it's hard now, but keep praying. Keep digging these wells. I'm telling you that there's water at the bottom of it. I remember last week I had a young man text me and say, why? Why am I dealing with this lust that I'm going through? Why? And it was so hard to answer, not because I don't have an answer, but because I knew exactly what he was going through. Why? Because I asked God that same exact question so many times. Why? And when we find ourselves asking, why me? Praying the same prayers, fighting the same battles, facing the same hardship, praying for that same individual, years upon years of digging. I'm telling you, you're digging a testimony that will help so many more people than you could possibly imagine. To anybody in this room who thinks that they're digging in vain, you're building a testimony, you're building a legacy for somebody else's sake, for somebody else to follow up and start digging where you ended. I'm telling you it's worth it right now. I know that it's hard, and I know it feels like uh, it's too heavy, and you want to put it down. Keep that shovel in your hand and keep digging these wells. For anybody who knows my family you know the testimonies that we've gone through. And, 
And my father, in case you don't know, hardworking man, but lost his job so many times throughout our childhood, so many times. I remember years and years just fighting for a job, a consistent job, and it, it wasn't his fault. It was because companies closing, downsizing, buyouts, and everything else. And I can't even tell you how many times my parents would sit us around the kitchen table to say, hey, dad's lost his job again. And I know it's going to be tight, but we're going to keep on praying. We're going to keep on fasting. We're going to keep on, we're going to keep on tithing. I don't care how difficult it is. We're going to make it through. And I remember in those moments feeling fear inside of my chest. I'm just a little boy. I don't know anything about money, but I'm feeling fearful of what's going to happen next. But to watch my father walk through that with a smile on his face, without a, without a hint of fear in his eyes, there's something about that as a young boy. I didn't think much of it. You see, when it was my turn, right? When it was my turn, for the last, for over six months out of the last 12, I, I didn't have a job. When it was my turn to walk in my father's footsteps, and what I've seen already before, I began to convince myself that just like my dad before me, there are bigger and better doors out there. Just like I've seen him do it with my father's life, he's gonna do it for mine. I knew it inside of my chest. There is no doubt about it. You couldn't tell me God can't do that. And you see, as a child, as a child, I didn't understand what my parents were going through in moments like that. I didn't understand. I felt it now. I felt the insecurity. I felt the fear try to creep in. I felt that hopelessness. You see, as a parent, your children may, will not understand what you're going through right now, but there will come a time when they do. And it's in that moment I try to put on the same exact face my father did. As a child, it didn't take long sitting around the dinner room table when my parents would start talking about their testimonies. My mother started talking about where she came from and what God did for her. It didn't take long, and in fact, it got pretty annoying for me as a kid. Like, hey, I already heard this. I don't, like, we're good. I don't want to pray right now. I just want to eat, you know, mom, just chill. It was tough. And I remember very few times, but when my father started to talk about his testimony, he would talk about where he came from. The house that he grew up in was not a God-fearing house. He would tell us that as a young man, he would drink casually with his mother, my grandma, around their table. He would go to bars with his work colleagues, and he, did, he knew nothing about what it meant to chase after a holy and righteous lifestyle. But he would tell us, that in the moment he decided to follow after Jesus is the same moment he let go of everything in his life and just moved forward. And you see, as a young man, I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's crazy, bro. Like, I wasn't, I didn't understand what that fully meant. But when it was my turn, living in sin, shame, turning my back towards God, dependent on drugs and alcohol, I remembered my father's testimony, turning away and never looking back. And I remember for years, years and years of my life, dependent on something I didn't want to be dependent on. And for years, I struggled until the day. I remember the day I wrote it down. It was August 5th, 2015. I remember the moment, the last night. 
I came home still high, but sober enough to know that I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I remember sitting on the edge of my bed and said the most simple prayer I could possibly muster out of my lips. And I said, God, you've done it for my dad. If you'll take this out of my heart, if you'll take this desire out of me, I'll never look back. I knew I could pray that prayer because it's the same one that my father did before me. And I knew I could walk in those footsteps because it's the same testimony that my dad laid out in front of me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You see, there are people in this room right now walking out of Sodom walking out of a past life, walking out of sin, and you already know the weight of those shackles. You already know, and you're walking out. I want to talk about a couple things. There's a way to go out, and there's a way to be received. You see, God's very specific on how he'll respond to you, and he's also very specific on how you need to come out of these things. And the in the parable of the prodigal in Luke 15, 18 through 22, I want to read this real quick. This is the son as he comes to himself. He says, I will set out and I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father's house. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But... But the father said to his servants, quick, run out, grab the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf. You see, the second you take a step towards God, he'll always meet you halfway. He'll come running out to you. He'll, he'll find you before you can even come back home. But what I want to get to is what the, what the son intended to say to the father. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And when he actually went to his father, before he could say, and make me like one of your hired servants, his father said, quick, grab the robe, grab the ring, get the fatted calf, it's party time. The fact is, it's so important on our heart, our heart, what we actually want when we come back home. Are you willing to serve Lower than where you left. Are you willing to be the servant when you were once the prince? But I'm telling you, when you have that in your heart, when you have the heart of a servant, God will always make you a prince. He'll always bring you back to the place where you left off. I'm telling you, it's how you come back in. It's important. And as you leave this life of sin, it's very specific on how you should walk out. When it comes to Sodom and the angels talking to Lot, how to leave Sodom, it was specific. In Genesis 19 and 17, it says, As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you'll be swept away. It's not good enough just to stop what you've been doing. 
Don't look back and don't stay in the plains. You have to start climbing up. You have to start building a prayer life. You have to start these things because it says it so. It says so in 24. And the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. Thus he overthrew the cities and the entire plain. Go to the mountains. It's not good enough just to stop. You have to start climbing. I'm sure Abraham and Isaac, or I'm sorry, Abraham and his wife Sarah would sit their son Isaac around their dinner room table eating lentil soup and bread that's just a little too flat for my liking. And I'm sure that they would start talking about the testimonies Start talking about where they came from. Start talking about the things of God that they've, that they've walked through, that they've dealt with, that they fought through. And I'm, I, I know it, that they, that they told Isaac week in and week out, you are a product of a testimony. You're the product of years and years of praying. You're a miracle child. And I know Isaac got annoyed by that. Like, listen, chill out, mom, chill, okay? And so... When you walk through Genesis for five chapters after God promised a child, then finally Isaac came to pass. But Abraham and Isaac were already old by the time they received this promise, which means for decades of marriage beforehand, they had already been praying for a child. So you have Abraham and Sarah praying years, years, digging moments, praying, digging, digging, digging. But when it was Isaac's turn, the Bible's very clear, Genesis 25 and 21. And as Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah conceived. You see, what took Abraham years to get took Isaac a prayer. Now, I don't know exactly why. Personally, I believe that God set Abraham up for a testimony so real that he could pass it down to his son for his son's sake. There's also the aspect and the perspective that Isaac had so much more faith when he prayed that prayer because he was the product of that testimony. But either way, it was up to Abraham to dig through those moments. You see, Abraham wasn't the product of his father's testimony in that prayer, but Isaac was. So when it was Isaac's turn to pray that same prayer, he can say, God, look at me. I am this miracle. I am alive. And I know you'll do it again for my wife and me. Jesus' name. You see... For anybody in this room who's getting weary in well-doing, weary in well-digging, keep digging those wells. I know that you haven't reached the blessed waters at the bottom, but if God gave you a promise, I guarantee you that there's waters flowing down underneath. You just have to keep on digging. Keep on digging. There may be people in this room right now who's looking back at me and saying, I don't have people to dig for. I don't have anybody that I can leave a testimony behind for. Let me answer you by saying this. Look around. Look around. There are people in this room, I guarantee it. There are people in this room waiting for you. I remember for three years, the first three years of my adult life, I was trapped, trapped in sin, trapped in shame. And I sat in these pews, but I wasn't here. I was gone in my heart, I was gone in my mind, I wasn't here. Why? Because a prodigal son or daughter leaves 
far before the last church service. There are people sitting in here right now, gone. But I remember every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, right back there, Harry Hoffman would find me. He would put his arms around me, and that elder would say, I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you. And he would tell me that he believes in me, and he says, I, I know you're going to make it out. Every single Sunday, every single Wednesday. You see, it wasn't the simple words alone that impacted my life. It was the consistency of them. You see, it's so powerful when you believe in somebody who doesn't believe in themselves. There's something really powerful there. But the fact is, you can't just plant a seed and walk away. Why? Because they're living in sin. There's, the, the soil's no good. You have to keep on planting planting, planting, planting. I don't know if this time is going to work, but I'm going to come back next week, and I hope and I pray that that time is going to work, and I'm going to keep on telling him because I know that there's no hope there. But maybe, just maybe, these words can breathe something into his life. I'm telling you, if you don't think that there's nothing to dig for, look around. There are people waiting for you to speak to them right now. Waiting, waiting. In Jesus' name. And when we don't dig these wells, when we don't pray these prayers, when we don't do what we know we should, these wells become empty. In Jeremiah 38, Jeremiah was thrown into an empty well. Your empty wells will become your prisons. You will be reminded of the prayers that you should have prayed and the battles that you should have fought. It will be a constant reminder until finally you pick up the shovel and you start where you should have started and you keep on digging. You see, there are prayers in this room right now. There are prayers in this room right now that have been locked up and shoved to the back of the closet. There are people in your heart right now that you stopped praying for. Why? Because you became burdened. It's too heavy. I can't keep praying this and not see anything come of it. I can't keep saying these names over and over and over and feel that same pain over and over and over when I don't see God moving in their life. Don't let your heart wax cold to a state of indifference because of a lack of what you see is not moving. I'm telling you, there are things moving. You don't know it. I'm telling you, your prayers will rattle heaven and hell without you knowing it. There are things moving. <clears throat> you see, when an earthquake takes place, you can't see it on the surface. Everything that happens is underneath. An earthquake is caused when two tectonic plates begin to rub up against each other. There's things moving that we don't even know. And to say that, God, my prayers aren't doing anything, that's blasphemy. You see, it was up to Isaac to pick up the shovel and to dig where his dad left off. But it was up to Abraham to start digging in the first place. Man. I wonder how many wells in this room... We just stopped digging. We stopped fighting. You get overwhelmed. You get burdened. I can't be, I've been facing this same issue for decades. I'm never going to get out. This is just who I am. The lies of the enemy. If the music would come, I'll close soon. You see, in a church like this, we tend to assume 
that every single handshake and a smile means that everything's a-okay. We tend to assume that the answer good to the question, how are you doing, is actually accurate. We assume that everybody around us, because they know how to put a smile on, is actually doing okay. But let me remind you, how many times you came to the church completely broken, but were still able to fake it? I'm telling you, there are people beside you, in front of you, behind you, dying on the inside, waiting for somebody to pray for them, waiting for a move of God in their life, praying and digging. It's up to the church to encourage. It's up to the church to say, hey, let me grab my shovel too. I'm going to dig with you. I'm ready to fight your battles with you. You see, like I said, the prodigal leaves years, months, weeks, long before they actually walk out their last church service, which means that there are prodigals in this room still coming to church, still wondering, is this going to be my last Sunday? You have no idea. I'm here to tell you that there's a church willing to dig with you. And so when it was my turn, living in sin, bound by sin and shame, I remembered, I remember the testimony of my father turning back and never looking again. I remember the words of an elder planting seeds of hope, planting seeds of belief in somebody who never believed in themselves. I remember what it sounds like for a mother praying in her prayer closet and those prayers ringing down the hallways and underneath my bedroom door. I know what that sounds like. And I know what it feels like when the hungry church comes together in a moment when, I, when everybody's on the same page and we're saying, we're praying for this, we're fighting for this, and I don't care what my yesterday looks like, I'm willing to believe that tomorrow's greater than that. I'd be a fool to believe that everybody in this room is bought and sold on the high calling of Jesus Christ. I'd be a fool to believe everybody's ready and willing to go head first into this thing. I'll never be able to force somebody. We'll never be able to force somebody to live for God. But what we can do is we can dig these wells. So when push comes to shove, when it's time for them to come where we just left off, They'll start so much deeper than when we began. I'd like to invite everybody to stand up and come to the front. What we like to say is masks up and hearts open. And in fact, I'd like to do something a little bit different. If you have family here, I'm asking you to, to just find them, grab somebody. And if you don't have family, that's all good. We're all family, grab somebody, find somebody. I personally believe, and I've seen it so many times to say that it's not true or this is just an idea. The atmosphere in a church changes when we begin to direct our prayers off of me and not to them. Why? Because that's always been the heartbeat of God. Forget me, let me die for them. And so this moment, we're gonna pray for every single mother and every single father. You're gonna pray for your child because I'm telling you, they're going through things that you've already gone through and then some. And for every single young person, pray for your mother, pray for your father because they're going through things that you're gonna go through. 
And for everybody else, we're going to bind together as a church and begin to pour out our hearts and say, God, I'm digging these wells. Listen, listen, listen. When you dig these wells, you're not just digging for water for somebody else. You're also digging to replenish yourself. When the seasons, when the dry seasons come, you need a well that you can look back on. You need a well that you can still draw from. When, the, when, the, when there's no water in the land, you need a well. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus and everything that that name represents, I pray for these families. I pray for the household. I pray for the individual dealing with depression. I pray for the young man dealing with lust. Let's go, church. Your family, your Oh!